This is El Paisano Media, and you're listening to EPM Network. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, uh, real quick, this is editing... Brandon, just stopping by to say that there's like a weird crackle on the mic for a while. Not sure where that came from. Also not sure how to make it go away. Hopefully that doesn't bother you. Okay, uh, episode time. Bye-bye. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rio Hondo's Pretty Neat Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Ramirez, and in this episode, we're talking about... Cowboys. <laughs> you know, when I was thinking about this episode like, earlier this week, I kept thinking about that. I think it's a vine where the guy's like, I want to be a cowboy, baby. So I might just name this episode, I want to be a cowboy, baby. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, we're going to be talking about cowboys this episode. Um, so let's get right to it. We've already kind of touched a little bit on cowboys but we're going to talk a little bit about like what we've already talked about for these uh, first two episodes of the season um so we started off talking about like medieval stuff and like um general fantasy and medieval fantasy we talked about uh how like there's knights and, and they have kings in medieval fantasy and then uh in asia we also have stuff like samurai and specifically i kind of want to touch on the idea of there being like a kung fu fantasy well elaborate on that later but uh we talked about like medieval stuff um mentioned a little bit of that eastern fantasy and we also did an entire episode uh last episode if you haven't seen it please go see it um listen to it why was i gonna say read it go listen to it um we also did an episode on sci-fi and we talked primarily about how sci-fi takes these old stories and pushes them into the future so they take these tropes from old stories like knights and kings or samurai or like you know the uh, these oppressive nature there's always like a good guy and a bad guy in a lot of uh, science fiction or they take uh like lovecraftian things that's something we touched on a lot in last episode and they kind of push that into the future and they sci-fiify it if that makes sense you know they make it a big robot instead of like a giant uh ephemeral being or something i'm gonna go ahead and take a drink of water real quick is this asmr is this mic quality good enough for this to be asmr you guys uh get to me on my instagram let me know so i'm trying to blaze past this because i have a lot to talk about today and i know i'm gonna ramble um so in both of these episodes we also ended off talking about how these things relate to the western myth right uh and by western myth i don't mean like western culture i mean like american old west myth <laughs> so we, we basically touched on with each of these episodes how they relate to cowboys so with insofar as like uh, medieval fantasy uh the way at least like with modern iterations of it that we have stuff that's integrating the cowboy mythos i think one of the more obvious ones if not like a little bit out there uh is indiana jones 
um, in like the Lost Crusade, you have uh, somebody interacting as a treasure hunter who's carrying like a whip and uh, you know um, a revolver. You know, he and the silhouette is very similar to a cowboy. Really, all of Indiana Jones is kind of what I think of when I think of like fantasy, uh, where they take medieval stuff and they mix it in a little bit with like the cowboy and western aesthetic of it uh the americana aesthetic and that also kind of goes alongside the uh time period you know um it's uh during the time where the lines between good and evil at least as far as like pop culture goes were very clearly defined and that's something that's very clearly defined in that series of films um, another aspect that I think of when I think of like uh, cowboys in medieval or like just general fantasy, uh, I think of uh, modern iterations of it like Assassin's Creed. Um, you have Ezio, who's like the very cavalier ladies man kind of thing. And uh, this idea of there being somebody like this during the Renaissance at first might seem like, yeah, like, okay, yeah, that's, that's isolated to the Renaissance, but his characters, his characteristics and his, his mannerisms are very cowboyish. They're very cowboy like, um, I guess you could say the same for somebody like Altair, who was uh, the first protagonist of the game series, sort of the lone wolf, uh, idealism and uh, in sci-fi it's even more obvious when you have these western influences because they basically take um, old west stuff and they put it in the future <laughs> so uh, for the Mandalorian obviously you know he's a bounty hunter he uh, he carries a pistol and he, sort of the stancing and stuff of everything he does same goes for Han Solo it was very obvious you know the the entire silhouette, another, another Harrison Ford character, right? Uh, that that silhouette of the cowboy, right? And the mannerisms. He carries a Mauser, uh, a pistol that like was the broom handle design is something that is maybe not so now recently associated with the old west, but is something that came out you know late 1800s, early 1900s. That's um, a very distinct silhouette. Uh, same goes more obviously now for stuff like uh, the series The Mandalorian as a whole or the Book of Boba Fett uh, where you have these sort of like standoffs in the street uh, mentioning the Book of Boba Fett you have Cad Bane again another very very obvious cowboy silhouette uh, the man from a stranger comes from the from the desert uh, you have Cobb Vanth uh, even the name itself uh associates the sort of like quickness you know it almost sounds like a nickname um something that you would see in in westerns or like a western iconography you know like uh almost like pirates you know you, you, the black the the like black-blooded kid or um uh, something dramatic i'm trying to think of like actual cowboy nicknames that i know um you you know there's a <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I don't know why, because I can hear myself through the mic. So when I heard myself go, you you know, and then my computer fans start to freak out, it, it really, I don't know, it was like a trifecta of what? Like, what is going on? I'm so sorry. You can hear my computer fan really freaking out in the background. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I feel like sometimes it's more sensitive to me than it is like actually in the recording itself. Um, Don't turn the volume up too high, I guess. I don't know. Uh, anyways, yeah, you have 
uh, like Billy the Kid. Uh, you have um, the Wyatts. You know what I mean? Like these quick names, quick uh, nicknames. You know, they're they're they say a lot without having to say too much, right? Um, that's kind of what I think of when I hear names like Cobb Vanth, Mando, you know, even Boba Fett. It kind of has that same aesthetic to it. Uh, same goes for Han Solo. You know, these are names that are, are sort of, even if it's subconsciously, sort of ingrained with the Western iconography and aesthetic, even if it's like a sound. If that makes sense, I hope that makes sense for you. Uh, uh, if you haven't lost me yet, let me talk about just cowboys now, I guess. So the the thing with cowboys is they're sort of representative of like the big American myth. They are the big American myth. Uh, this kind of started off with the homie Buffalo Bill. Uh, if you don't know who Buffalo Bill is, basically he was... He was the real deal, kind of. You know, he was like a, a soldier. He was a bison hunter. He he was, the, by all intents and purposes, like the quote-unquote cowboy as far as like gun skills go. Uh, but, but he also was a showman. So he realized that like people kind of want to see what's going on in the West. It was it was kind of during the time where the West was getting modernized, right? So the allure and romanticization of the cowboy and Western life and life on the prairie and the simple sort of like mountain man aesthetic was really something that was kind of commercialized by Buffalo Bill. And I'm not talking about the guy from Silence of the Lambs. I'm talking about William Frederick, the, the William Frederick Cody, the real Buffalo Bill, <laughs> you know, the, the dude who died in 1917. Um, just in case you're going to Google this stuff, which I hope you do because it's really interesting. But yeah, he kind of started off the Old West myth, mythos, you know, the American mythos of the romanticization of the Old West. Um, and alongside him and like that sort of mountain, mountain man, like cowboy aesthetic, uh, you also have, uh, the va vaquero idolism from, uh, you know, Mexico and, and Mexican cultures. Um, I remember hearing about, uh, these descriptions of vaqueros as very proud figures, uh, tight pants, uh, tight fitting outfits. They're above above just men, right? Like, uh, they, they present themselves proudly, which is in, in strict juxtaposition to the American concept at the time of what a cowboy was, because at the time what a cowboy was considered to be is sort of just a farmhand, nothing above like a ranch hand, you know what I mean? Whereas to like, uh, the vaquero I idolism was sort of ingrained and already built in with his respect for range life and what they're doing there was a mass masculinity to it a, a machismo really there's a machismo to it um whether or not that's a good thing um really that's up to you but isolated strictly to the vaquero it's something rather unique especially for the time and it's something that's sort of somewhat translated to nowadays i would argue that the modern iteration i i like i idol 
when I say idol, I mean like what people picture when they think of cowboy is very heavily, heavily, heavily influenced by the vaquero, by the pride that the vaquero held. It sort of elevated and romanticized at the time what the concept of a cowboy was and pushed it up alongside uh, Buffalo Bill and his, you know, romanticization and commercialization of the Western myth. But yeah, so you have not only these two, but like you have a lot of different meanings of like, like I said, with like the vaqueros specifically, um, it's something you don't necessarily see a whole lot today. Like when I try to think of like a Mexican cowboy, what I think more of is like the old Channel 22 movies <laughs> where like... Yeah, you know, it was like Narcos, really. They were just nar- Narcos movies. Um, that's kind of what I think of, which I don't think does justice to the Vaquero mythos. If you, you get what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't really fit that. It's just aesthetically very similar. But it doesn't fit the pride that came with being a Vaquero. There was what we now associate with the cowboy, you know, the importance of the silhouette and the way they walk and the clang, the ching 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 from from the the their boots, uh, their spurs and and the the idea of like them carrying a gun on their hip and like I keep emphasizing this silhouette because there's a very clear cutout silhouette for what we picture cowboy being that like it comes from from Buffalo Bill and the evolution of his ideology onto uh, 1950s television and, you know, stuff like The Lone Ranger and, and, uh, I really, really like the movie, <laughs> uh, Johnny Guitar, uh, it, you know, uh, you also have, like, A Fistful of Dollars and stuff like that, um, which is its own can of worms that we'll get to, but the iconography associated with these things is very intertwined, I think, because it's something that was built in exclusively, at least as far as I can tell. Like, the mythos of the vaquero was built in with the vaquero at the time, which is something you don't really see, especially for occupations like this that involve basically, like, laborious work, if that makes sense. And to elaborate a little bit more, when I was saying, like, uh, the film, like iconography of the old west we also have like two very distinct different ones um so you have like traditional american westerns uh like johnny guitar or uh the lone ranger think like black and white westerns uh stuff with john wayne that kind of stuff um I'm not going to lie. I think like a super easy way to tell the difference between these two is that the traditional American ones are kind of racist. Just, just going to say that. But uh, anyways, yeah. Uh, So you have like traditional American Westerns and then you have spaghetti Westerns, which in itself, you know, I remember explaining to somebody what a spaghetti Western was. Spaghetti Westerns are basically just Westerns that were made in Italy or, uh, you know, by Italian directors. Um, I remember explaining that to somebody once, and they got really like, isn't that kind of racist? And I was like, I mean, you know when these movies were made, man. Like, I feel like everything is kind of racist. <laughs> but yeah, sorry if you're Italian and the uh, t- 
term spaghetti western is offensive i it's just what it's called i'm sorry um yes anyway uh spaghetti westerns are my favorite westerns i love them like i haven't seen the fistful of dollars series yet so of course that's like the magnum opus of spaghetti westerns but i have seen once upon a time in the west and that movie is phenomenal i mean like it's so good and it's very very like uh illustrative of all of spaghetti westerns they basically took like think of it this way if somebody took disney movies and then just like let them be super violent and gritty spaghetti westerns and all of the wonderful aspects of storytelling and narrative balances and crazy topics you can cover come along with the ability to be violent <laughs> basically right they can show booby and be crazy and everybody starts loving these movies because they're they're phenomenal they're really really good you these are uh clint eastwood's you know go to when people think of clint eastwood they think of the man with no name blondie which is another trope in these westerns which is something that i think is really cool um the western sort of brought in this new aspect of the american hero or the western hero something that's sort of like isolated to the western hero something you see echoed in stuff like the mandalorian or even han solo more so i think the mandalorian is the man with no name in um, once upon a time in the west his, he's known simply as harmonica and in fistful of dollars the best approximation we can make of clint eastwood's name is simply blondie he's blonde so they called him Blondie. Genius, I know. But that kind of follows the same trend, uh, this trend of like differing meanings of the cowboy uh, that we continue to see today. But I think like one of the really interesting um, examples of this is uh, Tombstone. So Tombstone more or less follows like the general story of what happened at the 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 OK Corral, which was um, basically bandits and cops freaking out, shooting each other. But this is also where we get some of the West's most prolific names from, historically speaking. Anyway, this is where we get Wyatt Earp and the Wyatts from. These guys are famous gunfighters. Uh, these are real life examples of what we think of when we think cowboy right they're wicked with a piece if you get like there's no other way to say it like they uh what's the regulators how does that song go you gotta be handy with a tool if you know what i mean earn your keep that's them that's them that's literally them if you know anything about wide Earp story you know what's crazy he was an outlaw he was a cop then an outlaw then a cop again it was wild he was wanted in a state where he was a sheriff for another, I think. Something, something like that. It's pretty crazy. And it also takes liberties with the story, which is beautiful because I feel like all Westerns, including ones that touch on real-life events, should take liberties with the stories because that's, as that's an aspect integral to the Western myth is the hyperbole that comes along with it. Um, but you have my personal favorite character in any Western, Doc Holliday. Doc Holliday, played by Val Kilmer, is 
cool as all hell. <laughs> like it's it's amazing how cool like a southern gentleman draw and a nice vest can make a character. Uh, this, like I said, is a sort of shift in the iconography of the cowboy because it pulls away from the bandits. This narrative is about Wyatt and his friends, cops, the good guys, the state, the long arm of the state, pulls away from the outlaw aspect of the cowboy and makes it more of an interpersonal story, something that sort of follows the trend from spaghetti westerns, but something I think sort of exclusively exists to more modern westerns is the shift to a more interpersonal story but we see this a lot not just with westerns but like for example kaiju movies um like godzilla very 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 like to its detriment almost focused on millie bobby brown's character rather than giant monsters beating the hell out of each other which can also come down to like budgeting and stuff but regardless it's the state of things but more than that, I think uh, recently what comes to mind when I think like cowboys and how like the change of the idea behind them and what they represent as an icon and like an American icon and an icon of the Western mythos as a whole. One of the things that comes to mind, obviously, is Red Dead Redemption. Of course, we're going to talk about video games. It's me. <laughs> but yeah, Red Dead Redemption's um, depiction of the cowboy overall kind of depicts them uh, similar to I think the depiction of them in Fallout New Vegas um, which is sort of like its own retrofuturistic depiction of them but the idea of like resistance to change a reluctantly accepting through no fault of their own <laughs> the modernization of uh, growing civilization in the West a resistance to that uh, it sort of subverts that's another thing we've talked a lot about is like how modern um, depiction is of these old myths or like old narratives or old uh, sets really are often sub subversions of them they're deconstructions of them that are uh, internal de deconstructions of them uh, built on focusing oftentimes uh, on aspects of the story that are sort of left as the happily ever after, if that makes sense. Um, so we're like a Western might end while they ride out into the sunset. The That's where these stories begin. What happens to the surviving members of the people that the cop just killed? What happens to the surviving members of the gangs that that uh, the Lone Ranger just killed? Who goes after them? The Pinkertons. You know, uh, I don't want to mention a lot about the Pinkertons because they like suing people. Uh, but, you, you know, if you know anything about history, you know about the Pinkertons. Um, who, who lives, who dies, sort of like... Uh, these... Is, they do the same thing with uh, pirates in a lot of, like, modern depictions of pirates not pirates of the caribbean notwithstanding a lot of it is like facing the fact that people die pulling away from the romanticized rose tinted glasses and sort of like forcing you to realize that there's a life and death that that's being played with here um so i i i think that red dead does a really good job of doing that 
but uh you know there's there's movies that kind of do their own thing isolated as far as like the cowboy um using them in the same way as like old movies did as an icon of the good man you know as an icon of americana as an icon of purity and nowhere is this more evident than once upon a time in hollywood which is the most recent i believe yeah most recent uh, quentin tarantino film um where the main character and his companion uh it's leonardo dicaprio and brad pitt and i I, like when i see them i don't even think of their names i think like yeah leonardo dicaprio brad pitt they both represent aspects of old hollywood and uh, if you haven't seen the movie i please I, i like please go see it it's a great movie i highly recommend it i highly suggest you go see the movie especially if you're interested in any of the topics that we've talked about so far you'll probably love the movie it's a love letter to old hollywood it's a beautiful movie and i don't want to spoil anything so if you haven't seen it you might want to skip past this part a little bit but fair warning Uh, the end of the movie is (laughs) leo and brad killing the people who were they're killing the manson family essentially right and thematically what's that that that, that's not only serves as like catharsis but it also is sort of this call back to old hollywood you know if this didn't happen at the manson murders often are seen as a shift in the tone of hollywood it's the death of hollywood which is weird to sort of accept because like you know there were real things that happened but you know it their shift in uh the general tone of hollywood and the movies that were coming out of the time and a lot of the pop culture that was being produced it became a lot more morbid and sort of, uh, I think, uh, jaded is a good is a good word for that. Uh, you also had the Vietnam War that played part of that, and a lot of social unrest, um, racism, obviously, uh, segregation was is was still a big issue. Um, Jim Crow laws and you know these these decades of the 50s 60s and 70s were inundated with strife essentially um so yeah they represent cowboys in the movie but more than that they sort of represent us the simpler side of the innocence of the era whereas yeah like things were rough um everybody still sort of wore a smile on their face that's kind of what they represent but they also sort of like represent the stupidity of it which i, I kind of like like there's a uh, quentin tarantino often times also sorry i've been cracking my knuckles this whole episode um quentin tarantino does a really good job of showing like yeah they're kind of idiots they're not the best people but regardless you know they represent what they represent um which I like. We don't really get a lot of nuance when it comes to cowboys. <laughs> so I, I really liked that uh, aspect of it. There, there's a nuance to it, which makes them very realistic, I think. Um, that notwithstanding. Uh, so like I said, uh, I've, I've mentioned a little bit in the other episodes about like the the Eastern aspects of these. And I also... Oh my gosh, was that my tum-tum? 
I think that was my little, my little stomach, bro. That might have been my tummy. I'm sorry, did that come through the mic? If that didn't come through the mic, me saying, oh my gosh, was that my tum-tum? And you guys didn't hear my stomach growl? That'd be really weird. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> that's terrible. Wow. Uh, so, like, Westerns also have, like, tropes. <laughs> We're just going to skip past that, right? We're skipping past that. Westerns also have tropes. So, uh, they have, like I mentioned before, the vaquero. But they also have the Chinese guy. So, if you aren't familiar with American history, uh, the Chinese immigrants were the ones that built the railroads. So they're heavily ingrained and synonymous in Western iconography. Uh, so Westerns often have the Chinese guy and he's probably skilled in some Oriental art, plain and simple. Now I know that's pretty blatantly like, well, kind of racist and you can't get away from the racism in westerns like i'm not even cut touching on native americans you know and really depictions of mexicans and uh, bandits being all darker skinned but i am gonna touch on the chinese because i feel like you can't describe a cowboy and touch on the vaquero and touch on the legends of and mythos of the West without touching on the people who got us there, which were Chinese immigrants, and they also have representation in Westerns. And yes, it is, you know, sort of racist, but it also allows for these movies to explore other cultures and allows a glimpse into how the West in itself was a different sort of melting pot you had at the time you had like uh, a freed uh, freed slaves you you had like um vaqueros you had mexican people you had native americans you had uh, obviously white people and you had chinese people and outside of like governing bodies these people were just people they were just existing um prejudice notwithstanding again they were just existing and that's sort of something that comes along in a lot of these depictions of of like cowboys representing resistance to modernization oftentimes an aspect of that is a resistance to the forceful acceptance of castes in society and classism and racism in society. And I feel like that's a really interesting thing to touch on because, like I said, the Chinese person in, in these movies often is like good in some like martial or orient, quote unquote oriental art, whether it be like kung fu or being able to throw knives or fight with a sword or something like that. And that kind of brings us to something entirely different which is where these influences came from outside of just the Western, right? Because you see this more predominantly with like modern Westerns, like the Magnificent Seven and stuff like that. But where does this come from? And, and even that, like where do Westerns come from? Because I'm sure if you know anything about Westerns, you know that they're heavily, heavily influenced by samurai films of all things. But where does all this come from? Well, my friend, what do you know about Hong Kong film? <laughs> Action.
actually. I think that's a really good idea for an episode. Maybe next episode. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. Next episode. We'll, we'll do it next episode. Because this one's already running kind of long. Well, yeah. So that's our episode on Cowboys. We finally got to it after three episodes or two episodes of teasing. I hope you liked it. I liked it. In fact, I think it was pretty neat. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.